everybody. Um, let me welcome you to The Crossing again. I want to welcome all of those who are joining us, The Crossing West Henderson and St. George, for the hundreds who are watching online right now. And we are starting a brand new microsite today in Pahrump. And so that launches today. So can we give all of them just a great big hand? Well, every week or so, I get a migraine. And the type of migraines that I've been diagnosed with are called visual migraines, sometimes called ocular migraines. And so what happens if I'm dehydrated or if for some reason, you know, I've just kind of been stressed, that I'm low blood sugar, that I will begin to lose my vision. And it starts right in the focal point, And then my entire vision goes blurry and it lasts about a half hour. Now, the first time this happened to me, I was in a meeting years ago, and I thought, I am actually losing my vision. So I called up a, an eye doctor friend of mine. He got me and immediately ran a bunch of tests and diagnosed me with these kind of migraines that I get every week or two. I actually got one when I was preaching just a few weeks ago. And so I was up here, and I completely lost my vision. I couldn't see my notes. And so I just kept going, trying to, you know, hoping that nobody would realize what was happening at that moment. So if there's ever a time where you think, man, he's just not with it, just assume I have a migraine. Just assume that. Well, I just had my birthday just a few weeks ago. And something different is happening to my vision. Now, my family says that I'm in denial. They all say that I need glasses, and I'm like, I don't need glasses. Why do I need glasses when I can just keep enlarging the font on my iPhone? <laughs> Is anybody else with me? Do you do this? Well, I used to have a Bible that I preached out of up on stage for years, and then I got to the place that I could not read the words any longer. So I ordered a large print Bible, and I started using that. And then I couldn't read those words any longer. So then I started printing out the Bible verses really big and pasting them in my Bible so you would think I was still reading out of my Bible. <laughs> and I couldn't read those any longer. And so now I just put it four inches tall on the screen. And so that just kind of helps me read it. Well, sometimes we can't see because of something that is happening to us physically. But other times... The reason that we can't see, it's because we don't want to see. That it is our denial of the truth that keeps us from seeing. And that is what we're going to be talking about today. Well, we've been in this series going through the Gospel of John. We've called it Signs. Because the Apostle Paul, the, excuse me, the Apostle John, he arranged his gospel around seven miracles that Jesus performed. But he doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs because signs point to something. And John tells us that it is these signs that convinced him that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And he is hoping that what happened to him will happen to you as well. And so today, we're in sign number six. Sign number six is the healing of a blind man. It is found in John chapter nine, if you want to follow along, or I'll also have the, the scriptures here in great big lettering that you can read along with me as well. But most of Jesus' ministry and teaching, it happened around the Sea of Galilee. But he would often travel to Jerusalem for different feasts and festivals. But every time he went there, things got dicey. 
The temple was in Jerusalem, which meant the religious leaders were in Jerusalem. And by this point in Jesus' ministry, they're trying to get rid of him. They're trying to arrest him. They're trying to kill him. So Jesus is literally taking his life into his own hands every time he goes to Jerusalem. And that is where this sign takes place. Well, by the time we get done with this sign, by the time we get done with this encounter, I'm telling you, you are going to love this guy in our story. He's going to be one of your favorite guys in the Bible. And he has the greatest definition of life change that I think that is found anywhere else in God's word. So we're going to start here in John chapter 9, verse 1. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, we've talked about this in previous weeks, that there was this assumption that sin and suffering went hand in hand, that if someone was suffering, it was because they had sinned or that their parents had sinned. In a sense, they were getting what they deserved. Neither this man nor his parents sinned said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So that this means that there is a purpose to all of this. Now let me just pause here for a second. Let me tell you what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying that God caused this man's blindness. That pain and suffering are the works of Satan. However, pain and suffering can have a purpose. Jesus' pain and suffering had a purpose. And maybe your pain and suffering has a purpose as well. Sometimes God chooses to display his power on the platform of your pain and suffering. It was 24 years ago this last month that we lost Darla's sister to cancer. She was 37 years old and had five kids, ages 3 to 13. She was first diagnosed with cancer when she was pregnant with her youngest child, and we prayed and prayed for God to heal her. And for the next three years, her cancer was in remission. And then it came back with a vengeance, and it took her life. And her oldest daughter, my niece, was 13 when her mom died. Well, she is now 37 years old herself, the same age that her mom was when her mom died. And she's a mom. She has three kids. And she posted in her Instagram just a few weeks ago as she was honoring her mom, she said, this year was the hard year for me because I now realize how young my mom was when she was taken. But in the midst of grief, let me tell you, we've seen God do amazing things. Could God have healed her? Absolutely. Why does God choose to heal some people and not others? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. But we have watched God display his power on the platform of pain and suffering. This is where God does some of his best work in our lives. It says here, it says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, my identity will never be more clear than it is right now. It will never be more apparent because I am the light, and he comes to expose what God is really like. 
He says, I am here so that people can see God. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, let's just stop here for a second. And let's just admit this is a little odd. And I know you have a hundred questions about this because you're thinking, okay, is this the, you know, is this really the way that Jesus chooses to heal him? See, Jesus had already demonstrated that he could heal somebody just by saying the word. That's how he healed the royal official son in John chapter 4. But here Jesus decides to spit on the ground and make some mud. Well, here's, here's what you need to know. That saliva was often used in the first century as medicinal purposes. So maybe this was not that unusual. It's still the number one cleaning agent of mothers around the world. So I don't know if we completely understand this, but Jesus spits on the ground, makes this mud, he puts it on his eyes, and then he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Obedience is always a key with Jesus. And notice, this guy is not immediately healed. He walks by faith and not by sight, literally. And he does what Jesus told him to do. And then he goes home and he encounters his neighbors. And his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. So people are going, he just, he just looks like him. He goes, no, I'm that guy. I'm really him. I just look different because nobody's guiding me around. I don't have to use a walking stick any longer. And then they ask the question that everyone wants to ask. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. I didn't see where he went. <laughs> well, when someone was healed, or if they had a disease or a sickness, they were not officially considered healed until they went before the religious leaders. And then the religious leaders would pronounce them healed to be able to fully allow them to come back into the community of believers. And so that's what they did. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Well, of course it was. Of course it was a Sabbath. And according to the tradition of the elders, you weren't allowed to do certain things on the Sabbath. And there's actually two things that Jesus did that was considered work that you could not mix and knead anything on the Sabbath. So by making mud with his saliva and mixing it, that was considered work. And you weren't allowed to heal on the Sabbath unless it was to save a life. It says, therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. 
Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. See, all of us have these presuppositions about God. Perhaps because of the church that you grew up in or the home that you were raised in and that you might think that God only works in a certain way. Here is how God works or here is how God ought to work. Therefore, this is what I believe about him. See, we put God in a box. In this story, they've put God in a box that God would never heal on the Sabbath. Therefore, Jesus must not be from God. It says, then they turned um, again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. See, the Pharisees don't know what to do with Jesus because this miracle doesn't fit in their box. So they asked this guy, well, it was your eyes that were open? Who do you think that he is? But when he says that Jesus is a prophet, they don't like his answer. So they have to come up with some other reason. It says they did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say who was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Well, we know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Now, this word right here literally says you would be ex-synagogued. Ex-synagogue. We would call that excommunicated. And to be excommunicated was a scary thing because you would be shunned from the entire community. You would be shunned from worship, which is what everything revolved around. You would be shunned from your family and your friends. You could lose your job. You would not be allowed to shop in the market. It was a big deal to be excommunicated. But I want you to see this. It said they had already decided. See, this is where some of you are. You have already decided something about Jesus. You've already decided because to believe different would put you against your presupposition of who you think he is or how you think that he's worked, this box that you've put God into. And so you have already decided some things about Jesus. It says a second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. It's like, I don't have to explain everything to believe something. And here's the good news. Neither do you. You don't have to understand everything to believe something. You don't have to have all of your questions answered. You don't have to have it all figured out for you to take your next step in your faith journey. You can take whatever it is without having to have all of the questions answered. And then right here is what I think is the greatest 
life-change definition in the entire Bible. He says, one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. I may not be able to explain everything, but I know the result. I used to be blind, and now I see. People can argue about the Bible, but they can't argue about a transformed life. They can push against your belief about God, but they cannot discount what God has done in your life. This is who you used to be, and this is who you are now. I was blind. Now I see. Then they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Don't you love this guy? He's no longer afraid of the religious leaders because he's had an encounter with Jesus. In other words, he says, my eyes have been opened in more than one way. Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. You deserve to be born blind. It's a punishment for who you were. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. He could do nothing. The more they push him, the clearer it becomes to him who Jesus is. The more they question him, the more convinced he is about Jesus. Spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. It is the inability to see spiritual truth. Spiritual blindness, it is refusing to see what can be seen. It is refusing to see because it's not what you want to see. Psychologists have, have identified what they call confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is when you keep looking for information that confirms what you already believe. And so this is where Google comes in really handy. Because no matter what you believe, you can Google it and you can find somebody else who just confirms what you already believe. Here's the danger of spiritual blindness. Is that you may not even know that you have a problem. You don't see it because it's not what you are looking for. And maybe... Maybe you've come today and you're ready to wash out whatever has blinded your eyes. I see three different things in this story that cause spiritual blindness. There's three different things, and maybe you will find yourself in one of these three things. Maybe you'll begin to identify and go, yep, that is me. That's been me. Here's this first one. It's pride. This is the Pharisees right here. The Pharisees had all of this pride. They had these presuppositions about how God works. This is how God works. This is how God doesn't work. And they had put God into their little box and decided this is how we define God. And even when they have the guy in front of them who's been healed, 
They can't accept it. They have to come up with other scenarios. Well, he wasn't really born blind. Or he was steeped in sin at birth, so he deserved to be born blind. It was their pride. It is pride that will keep you from seeing God. It is pride that will keep you from clearly seeing what God wants you to see. C.S. Lewis described pride as the anti-God state of mind. The anti-God state of mind. Pride is what keeps you from celebrating other people's success. It is what keeps you from apologizing to the people you love. Pride is what keeps you from admitting weakness. Pride is what keeps you from admitting that you're wrong. It's what causes you to pretend that you are more spiritual than you really are. And one of the major themes of the Bible is that if you have pride in your life, you are inviting God to get onto the other team and to fight against you. Let that sink in. Your pride triggers God to oppose you, to fight against you. But humility invites God to bless you. Humility invites God to show favor on your life. It may be your pride that is causing spiritual blindness in your life. It's pride. Here's the second one. It's sin. It's sin. There's another character in the story that we haven't even talked about. It's Satan. Sin and suffering are the work of Satan. And just as God has an agenda for your life, Satan does too. Just as God has a purpose for your life, Satan has a purpose for your life as well. His purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he uses sin to blind us. Look what the, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I want you to think about the last time that you gave in to that sin in your life. Every one of us have one. Every one of us have this sin that's it's kind of our Achilles heel. It's that weakness in our life. I want you to think to the last time you gave in to that. Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was last week or last month. And here's what happens when we sin. The first time we cross that line, we feel so much guilt. We promise God, God, I will never do that again. Then the next time, it gets a little easier. And we get over it quicker. And we begin to justify our sin. And we create a story around why we deserve this in our life. The Apostle Paul actually describes this as your conscience being seared. That your conscience is just seared to this sin and it no longer bothers you anymore. When we are spiritually blind, we tend to accuse other people and we excuse ourselves. We are critical of other people's sins and we minimize our own sin. Is it possible that you have a sin in your life that is blinding you from God's best for you. Here's this third one. It's ignorance. It's pride, it's sin, and it's ignorance. Now, I don't mean this in the negative sense right here. 
I'm just talking about those who don't know. That's this guy in our story. And you can see his progression of faith. Because after he's healed, he goes home. And his neighbors say, who healed you? And he says, the man named Jesus healed me. Then when he goes before the Pharisees, they say, who do you think he is? Who is this guy who heals you? He said, he is a prophet, that he is from God. And then after this guy is kicked out of the synagogue, Jesus goes and finds him. You can read the rest of the story later. Jesus finds him and he says, do you believe in the son of man? And he says, tell me so that I can believe in him. And I love what Jesus says. Jesus says, you have now seen him. And he is the one who is talking to you. And then he calls Jesus Lord. So you see this progression. He goes from Jesus being a man to being a prophet from God to being Lord. And this is what John is hoping will happen to you. That maybe you've considered Jesus this good man. Maybe you've thought that he's from God, but John is hoping that these signs will convince you that he is God, that he is Lord over all. Look how John ends his gospel. He says, but these signs are written that you may believe This is for you, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That by believing you may have life in his name. See, John's entire message is, this is something that I have seen. I have seen Jesus do these things. I have seen him perform these signs. And this is what led me to believe. And I'm hoping that what led me to believe will now lead you to believe because you don't have to understand everything to believe something. So what is your next step that God is prompting you? Is there a blind spot in your life? Is there a blind spot from you that God is trying to reveal to you today? saying, this is it for you. See, I think the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus in our lives, is you may not be able to explain everything about God. You may not be able to explain everything about the Bible. But you can have a transformed life that speaks to everybody around you. And so I just want to lead you in prayer right now. I just want to have a time where I just lead you. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you just to pray this. God, give me eyes to see. Even if you're not sure that God is a personal God, what if you begin to pray this prayer? Give me eyes to see what you want me to see. God, reveal to me what needs to be revealed to me. God, reveal to me the blind spots in my life that are making me spiritually blind from the life that you would have for me. So God, that's our prayer. Would you give us eyes to see what you want us to see?
God, would you reveal these things to us? God, there's something powerful that happens when we come together with a community of believers and we open up your word. There's something powerful that happens that you speak into us and you begin to reveal things about us that we've been blinded to. So God, open our eyes today. Help us to see what you would have us to see. Help us to see Jesus clearly. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.